Today's a pretty special day that we do around this time once a year. It's the time where we come together as a church to celebrate our high school and our college graduates. And more than that, it's the time where we as a congregation, we send these students out into that next adventure of their lives, whether it's going to be going to college, whether it's graduate school, whether it is starting new careers. There's some communion. Um, We send them out from here with uh, prayer and support. And at the end of today's message, we're going to honor the graduates and pray over them. Um, I'm not sure any are here uh, this service, which is okay. Uh, We had a couple in first service that were here, a couple of justices that graduated. So as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to think back. Well, not not like it was that hard, but uh, I graduated uh, 25 years ago this year. It would have been 25 years ago yesterday is when I graduated high school. Way back in 97, before any of our uh, graduates had been born. (laughs) That makes you feel good. Alex was alive, though. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) To give some context, the movie Titanic was the number one movie in the box office. The movie Titanic, not the actual Titanic. That did not happen in 97. (laughs) And I was not on that ship, if there are any of my youth ministry kids in here. That was the number one movie. The Elton John song, Candle in the Wind, 1997. Um, That version was the top single, according to Billboard Top 100. Along with the other one, I think something about the way you look tonight, or is that what it, yeah. Um, They both were number one, I don't know how, but I had that that album, though. If I remember right, that was done as a tribute to Princess Diana after she passed away. Um, Anyway, realize it's been a long time since I graduated high school. (laughs) Quarter of a century. (sighs) Anyway, those 25 years, they've been pretty wild, though. Um, A lot of you know I started my college career here at Indiana University in the fall of 97, and then I transferred to Ball State the next year. And it was while I was at Ball State, I was taking an astronomy class, and during one of the lectures, things that had been kind of simmering for quite a while with regards to my spiritual life kind of came to a head. See, I'd grown up going to church, but we had pretty much quit going by the time that I was in junior high or high school, and my interest in spiritual things was basically nothing. And I really had no interest in it at all as I kept growing older. And during that astronomy class, a, a lot of different things kind of converged, and, and I walked away from my faith at that point. You know, I, I said that I had no faith in God, no belief, and I told myself that I was an atheist. I did not mention that to my mother because that would have been bad, but I sure lived my life that way. And it wasn't until about five years after that when some things happened in my life and it got me thinking more about my faith, more about spiritual things, and uh, really started to think deeply about these things. And that's when I started coming to this small little church on a hill, a couple miles that way, called Maple Grove Christian Church. And I only went there because my mom, anytime I was home, kept inviting me to go to church. And I kept saying no until she wore me down. And, and eventually I said yes, which I guess is good. That journey, all of it, all of that 25 years, it's been so important in my life. It's what's gotten me here. 
from walking away from God, having him start drawing me back. It's led me to this point where I'm the youth pastor here at Maple Grove. And I, for the last eight years, I've been able to do this message, this graduation Sunday message. And we celebrate those graduates whose lives are about to change. And that journey has also kind of informed how I go about doing ministry as well. It, it has given me a purpose, and it's also kind of our vision for our student ministries here um, at Maple Grove. And really what we want to do is we want to prepare the kids so that they don't have to go through what I went through. I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. Our mission is that the students will own their own faith, and they'll be able to stand on their own in that faith. It's helping them build their relationship with Jesus for themselves so that they take ownership of it. Not that it's their parents' faith, not that it's their friends or the church, it's theirs. And we also want to help equip them to live that faith out. For me, though, that doesn't just stop with our youth ministry. Because I want that for all of us here at Maple Grove, that we all take steps to know and to own our faith and to grow and also to share that with others. When we meet people who don't know Jesus, you know, we want to introduce him to them so that they can know the same thing that we do. Because I know what it was like before I was a Christian, before I really followed Jesus. I know what that was like and it wasn't good. But I also know what it's like after. And while it's not perfect, it's, it, it can be hard, it can be painful, but it's still so much better than the alternative. So today we're going to honor the graduates who are about to take the next step. And I pray that these graduates, what they've learned here, how God has used this place in their lives, that that's going to help them. And so in light of saying all of that, I want to get a little practical today for and give some advice from a letter in the Bible that was written to a young man who was on a new journey. And this advice, I think, is going to help us today, not just to those who are graduating, but to those of us who may not be. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to open them to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our text today, it's going to focus on one verse. And trust me, that is not my favorite way to preach. I'd rather have like big blocks of text to dive in and go through. But this one verse, it's so rich, and it's going to give us five areas where we need to focus in our lives. And it's 1 Timothy 4, 12. It's this, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This verse is part of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was from Lystra, which was a city in modern-day Turkey, I think on the southern side of that. He'd worked and traveled with Paul while Paul was on his missionary journeys. He's a third-generational Christian. Timothy's mother, uh, Lois, or grandmother Lois and mother Eunice were both followers of Jesus. And that's mentioned in 2 Timothy. Timothy is mentioned a number of times by Paul in his letters, and, and it's considered by many people to be part of his inner circle. In this passage, Paul's writing to encourage Timothy as he's going out, and, and he's writing him also to tell him to watch out for those who are abandoning their faith and trying to bring others along with them. 
Instead, he's, he's encouraging him to continue preaching the gospel of Jesus with confidence and to be an example for other believers. And that's where we need to focus today. This message is written to a young pastor to encourage him, and I hope to do the same today with those who are graduating and embarking on a new adventure, but also to encourage the rest of us as well to be examples in the same way to others. There's five areas where Paul writes to Timothy to set an example for the believers. He, he says to set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. And so we want to look at each of these individually. And so we'll start with speech. I wonder if you've ever heard the story of the frog who was trying to get across a lake, but the lake was so big, he just couldn't figure out a way to do it. And so he's sitting there thinking, and he, he finally comes up with this idea. There's these two birds there. He thinks it's a brilliant idea. Um, two birds nearby, and he talks each bird into picking up a twig, pretty solid twig, holding it in their beaks. And, and what he would do is he would grab onto the stick and uh, hold on with his mouth in between as they flew and carried him. The plan was for the birds to fly over and, of course, fly him across as he held on. And the birds thought that was, that was pretty brilliant for the frog to come up with this plan. Um, so the frog latched his mouth onto the twig. The birds lifted off, and it's pretty pretty amazing sight. So amazing that there was a guy standing nearby, and he's like, wow, that's pretty wild. He said, who came up with that brilliant, brilliant idea? And the frog said, ah. Opening your mouth at the wrong time in the wrong way can do a great harm. Your words are powerful. They can do a lot of great things, but they can also cause a lot of damage. Jesus' brother James said in his letter in the New Testament, James chapter 3, says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James writes about the tongue, and, and he doesn't really have a lot of glowing things to say about the tongue. He says it's such a small thing, and yet it can cause so much hurt, so much pain. It's like the rudder of a ship that's a small part comparatively, but can move an entire and steer and direct an entire ocean liner. And it says, you know, human beings, we've tried to tame everything, but we can't tame the tongue. And so how can you set an example in your speech if it's something that you can't control? Well, it's got to change, right? It's got to change here. 
got to change in your heart from the inside, which no matter how talented you are, you're not going to be good at that. But God is. Let God work on your heart. He's the best heart surgeon there is. That's going to change your speech. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what's in your innermost self? What, that's what tends to come out. You can try to control it. It's a fool's errand. The only way is to let God work in you and change you from the inside. And then, then you can be an example because what's going to come out is what God put in. Be an example in your speech. Also be an example in your conduct. Billy Graham used to tell a story about a fisherman who would come to a village every Saturday. And with him, he would bring two dogs. And these dogs were trained to fight on, com <clears throat> on command, which I don't think is great, of course, but... One Saturday, the one dog would win. The next Saturday, the other dog would win. And the man would take bets from the, the crowds that would come by. And he would always win the bet. He, he knew. It, it was like he knew. And so they asked him, well, how do you know? How do you always win? How do you seem to know? And he says, well, I feed one dog and I starve the other. So the one that I feed always wins because he's stronger. Now, you see, it's no different than us because we have two natures inside of us. There's one good, the other evil. The one that we feed, the one that we nurture, that's the one that's going to win. We are sanctified as believers, as followers of Jesus. And sanctification, being sanctified, big church fancy word, that, that basically just means that you're set apart and that you're in this process of becoming more like Jesus every day. The longer you're a Christian, the more you're going to look like the image of God that you were created to be. That means, though, that you got to live in ways that honor God. You got to work on that heart change from the inside. If you continue to live in the ways that aren't the way that God desires for you, what's best for you, as he deems it, there has to be a change. Because that nature, the one that you're feeding, is the one that's going to win. If you're feeding the sinful nature, that's the nature that's going to win. Paul writes in Romans 8, 5, he says that those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, who, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You want to feed the spiritual side. You want to feed the good nature. 
that's going to help you live the life that is worthy of your calling. Embrace the Spirit's ability to change you for the best, because change you for what God is creating you to be, rather than what we think is best. Set the example in your conduct. Now, these first two, speech and conduct, they're the more outwardly focused ones. It's how you present yourself to the world, maybe better put, it's, these are the public traits, what, what people can see. But the next three, love, faith, and purity, they're, they're often referred to as like the inner traits of these. And we start with love. The idea of love, it doesn't actually come up a whole lot in Paul's letters to Timothy. It's only used five times in 1 Timothy and four in 2 Timothy, but it's still important for the letter, especially for 1 Timothy. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.5, he says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal for Paul is he's instructing Timothy to implore people no longer follow these false teachings. It's out of love. Its aim is love. So while it's not mentioned a whole lot in these letters, it's still there. It's like the umbrella over the whole thing. And it's, it's that way because it, that's core to the Christian life, love. And we live in a world where love can be hard to find, true biblical love. We want to do what we always want to do as humans. We don't want to take something godly. We want to pervert it and make it all about us. And, and then try and say that whatever we think is right, is right. That's what led to the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. They bought into Satan's lie that they could be like God, that they could save for themselves what's good and what's evil. That's still our nature today. That's still what we want to do. And it continually drives a wedge between us and God, as well as each other. Real love is hard to find in this world, but that kind of love that, that's shown by God, that, that love, that, that eternal love between God, the Son, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But we are called to love one another. We're called to love the Lord our God with all that we are, and to love our neighbors, and to love our enemies. Here's how the Apostle John describes love in 1 John chapter 4. It's a long passage, but I think it's just so, so worth it to read the whole thing. From four, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. God is love. The only way we know what love is is because God loved us first. We weren't even born yet. And still, God chose to send his son to die on a cross for you because of his love for you. We love because God loved us. And that that should give us freedom from all the other junk in the world to love that way, to love others the way that God loved us. So we set an example in love. And then there's faith. At the beginning of the year, we did an entire series on faith based on the life of Abraham. And one thing we saw was from actually Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a definition of faith, where the the author of Hebrews writes, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is so important in your life. It's It's so important to remain strong in your faith, to have that foundation that I didn't have when I went to school. But you have the chance to to make that decision for faith, to to make that a priority in your life. And for those who are graduating, continue to build on your faith. If you're going away to school, you know, find and get involved in a local church. Join one of the groups on campus like crew or navigators. Whatever it is, you know, put yourself around other believers so that you can be built up and, and... You can also help build others up. That also counts for all of us, too. Get involved in a local church. Join small group, Bible study, whatever it is. Volunteer. Maybe maybe it's just a one-on-one conversation with somebody where you can just iron sharpens iron. Build your faith. But also don't let that in there. Like your faith is important, but something has to come out of it too. It's got to come with action. You can't just say that you have faith and then nothing else changes in your life. Doesn't work that way. That'd be like coming into this room and saying, you know, I believe these chairs will hold me up, but you'll never sit down. Do you believe that what God says is true? Then there should be some action in your faith. James, again, in chapter 2, verse 14, says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, well, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Don't just say that you have faith. Actually let the faith work in your life. Let your work out. You know, that's part of loving others. Be an example in your faith. The last trait where Paul tells Timothy to be an example is in purity. In purity, not impurity, that would be. In a hospital, it's very important that things are as clean as possible, right? Especially if you're in the operating room or things like that. You've know, got all those tools, they get sterilized, get all the impurities removed, and that helps greatly reduce the risk of infection. Spiritually, we're the same. When we allow any impurity to set in, we risk infection. We risk coming into contact with something that can cause us great harm. Which means we've always got to be on guard. We've got to be vigilant. The world's going to throw everything it can at you. Satan is also going to tempt you in every way that he can. That's why we need to have that foundation of our faith in place. Because it's very tempting to follow what the world says is good. But if that doesn't match up with what God has revealed to us through his word, then that's just fool's gold. It looks pretty, but it's worthless. And when you let your guard down once, kind of let that infection get in a little bit. It makes it so much easier to do it again. And so you need to take care of what you watch, what you read, what you listen to. Pay attention to the things that are being promoted. Everything's got a message. And I'll almost guarantee you that most of those messages are not godly. Use scripture as the lens through which you see the world. Pray that God would help steer you clear of the wrong messages that are being put out there. Find the things that are truly of God, that are truly valuable, and latch on to those as hard as you can. Keep pure. pretty wild how much we can get out of one verse that was written 2,000 years ago, but it's still so relevant today. These five things, the speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, they're all things that each of us, regardless of our age or where we're at in our life or our spiritual life, we all need to focus on these. We all need to focus on these to be good examples for other Christians, for other believers, and for non-believers. And if you're younger, Paul tells you specifically, or tells Timothy specifically, but it still applies to you. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. But be good examples in these areas because you're following Jesus well. That's going to help you live out your faith well. It's going to keep you out of trouble too. And it's also going to show others God's work in your life. We all get excited, you know, when, when we help bring somebody to Christ. But it's really not us doing it. Like, it's all God. God is the one who draws people to him. But he works through us, which is such a privilege. Such a privilege to do that. And to be able to help someone along, be able to be used by God to help somebody not go through all the things that I went through in those last 25 years. 
well, at least not the first little bit of it, the last 20 years of it or so, been pretty good. But if your life is no different than what the rest of the world looks like, why would anybody care? How's anybody even going to know? You look just like everybody else. But when we stand apart, we are set apart by God. And when we stand apart from the rest of the world as a beacon, reflecting that image of the Lord, however imperfectly we do it, God's going to draw people to himself. And it's going to be pretty amazing. So we, we live out what you were created to be. And we do that with God's help. And as Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So at this time, we want to honor those who are graduating both high school and college this year. Um, it was mentioned to me that uh, Alice Tucker was upset because I didn't mention graduating kindergartners. And I told her in 12 more years, you can come up. <laughs> Unless she is super smart and graduates early, which is very possible. <laughs> so anyway, so we've got pictures for everybody. Um, and uh, and so we'll, then we'll pray at the end to close it out. So uh, Gavin Justice was our first uh, graduate. And Gavin uh, graduated from Bloomington North High School. And he's going to be attending the University of Evansville in the fall. And he's going to be studying mechanical engineering. And he's also going to try and focus on business as well while he's down there. And so um, that's really exciting. Also in this picture is Luke Justice. And Luke is graduating from Ivy Tech. And uh, he's got his degree uh, in computer technology. And he's going to be working on finding work, um, which... <laughs> His, his parents are happy about, I think. So, um, but he's, I know he's going to be moving out in the fall as well. So pray for both of them and pray that Darcy and Greg are not too happy that their house will be empty and quiet. Um, Cody Kingsbury is graduating from Bloomington North. And uh, he's actually going to be returning to the Hoosier Hills Career Center. And he's going to continue studies in automotive repair and also looking for work as well. And then uh, Riley Moore is a pumpkin. We joke first service was like, Riley's probably happy he's not here with that picture, but... Riley graduating from Bloomington North as well, and uh, none of us know what he's doing, but I'm sure it'll be good. I'm sure it'll be good. Even Gavin didn't. Gavin's friends with him. So. Uh, and then Sydney Piercy. <laughs> so cute. She's graduating from some school up north. Um, <laughs> named Purdue. I was trying to be good. I was good first service. Um, she actually graduated in three years and uh, got her degree in political science. And she's going to be uh, preparing and taking the LSAT coming up to uh, apply to law school, hopefully in the next, not this fall, but next fall, is at least last I heard. Who knows? 
Um, so yeah, that is, uh, those are our graduates. We have five graduates this year. So. One thing we talk about with all of these graduates, and uh, we did this in first service because Gavin and Luke were here, and uh, we always talk about the idea of hands. I've been doing this for eight years now, and, and the first one that I ever did, I think was with you two, if I remember right, my first one, eight years ago. See, you guys are getting old now. <laughs> um, and uh, which means I've been doing this for 12 years, which is also weird, like helping out in church. Gosh, I'm old. <laughs> um, but in that first message, we, we talked about hands and talked about how, like, when you're a parent, you know, when kids are younger, you're walking alongside and you're holding their hands and everything. And I always love doing that with my nephews and my niece. Um, it's weird now, but uh, trying to do that. They don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> oh, well. Um, and uh, that's right, I have, I have adopted nephews and nieces that occasionally will let me hold their hand too. Um, but you're walking alongside them and, and you can protect them and, and you're going with them and, and there's a dependency there, right? Um, but there's another way that we can look at hands too, and that's the hand on the back a bit, you know, where you're, you're giving that little push, just little push, little, not, not big push, not like, what's wrong with you two? <laughs> she didn't need much of a push. <laughs> but you're getting on that little push, um, you know, where you're helping them kind of go and live their life and, and go out, but you're always kind of balancing the two, right? You know, like you're, you want them to go out, but you also want to go alongside them. We want to do that as a church as well. You know, we want to give them that push to go out and, and, you know, be followers of Jesus in the world and, and to embody what they've learned here, hopefully over, you know, however, 18 years, if they've been here since birth, um, but then also to be able to walk alongside them as well and to give them that support uh, where we can and to let them know that we are always here for them. But we always also talk about the Great Commission because that is the most important thing. It's important for us and it's important for us to send people out this way as well. It's why we, we chiseled the Great Commission on the back of that stone sign at the end of the drive. You know, it's the last thing you see as you go out. It's Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where Jesus, as he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven, he's talking to his disciples and he's giving them one final command. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But then the very best part is what he leaves for last, because he says, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. We send these kids out, we pray for them, we do what we can, we support them, but we don't need to worry too much because God's with them. Jesus has said he will be with them. He will be with us. What do we have to fear? So let's go out and... and we support these kids, pray for these kids, pray for the five graduates this year, pray for the ones over the last eight years as well. They still need it too. And uh, 
and know and support them as you can, but know that, that Jesus is still with them and will always be with them. Let's pray as we close out. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, Lord, we thank you that we're able to come together on this special day every year where we get to celebrate these kids who have transitions coming in their lives. And, and they're really not kids anymore. They're young adults. And Lord, um, you know, we, we don't want to look at their age as, as a hindrance. It's really not. You know, we see what Paul wrote to Timothy that, that he don't want to let anybody look down on him because of his age, but to set an example for others. And so we pray that each of our graduates this year would do that, that they would, in, in the areas of speech and conduct and faith and love and purity, that they would, that they would be exemplary. And Lord, we know that, and, and we also ask that for ourselves as well. But we know that we can't do that. We're not going to be able to pull that off on our own. And I'm sure some of us have tried, and we might do pretty good. But, but ultimately, Lord, you are the one who changes us from the inside. That it's, it's you living in us. That's where the change comes. And that's where we can find that joy, even in the dark times. It's because that you're with us. Just like you promised to the disciples so many years ago that you were with us, even until the very end of the age. You will be with us forever. Let us just lean into that. Let us just lean into you. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you that it didn't end there. We pray all of these things in his precious, precious name. Amen.